Live. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring your sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Our second show of the week. Earlier this week, we touched on what's been going on in the NFL with the coronavirus situation. We touched on the Landalorian recap. We did that with Kevin Lillis. That episode's out in the podcast feed. We've not checked it out yet. But today, we're going to get to the main event of the week. We're going to be speaking to Mike Puma of the New York Post about the New York Mets offseason. The Mets made some moves already. have more to come. We'll talk with Mike about that in just a bit. We're also going to do our Week 13 NFL picks with Sam DeRosa, our pop culture correspondent, also a big Jaguars man. I am 2-1 and one last week. Got back on the winning side. We'll see if they can keep that going. But we'll get it all started with the opening tip. My thoughts on the Mets and what they've done so far, what they could still be coming up here with their planning right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. All right, we are back here. Opening tip, talking about the Mets. And their offseason is off to a good start. They signed Trevor May the other day to a two-year deal worth roughly $15 million. May, big strikeout guy. Struck about 14 batters per nine innings last year for the Twins. 289 ERA in two years in Minnesota with Jeremy Hefner as a special assistant to the pitching coach. Now he is the Mets pitching coach. Reunion there. Those types of moves the Mets usually didn't make in the years past that you're wondering, what's going to happen to the budget? Oh, my God. They signed for $15 million. Now, are they have enough money to sign a center fielder? Are they have enough money to add a catcher or another starting pitcher? Now, though, in the Steve Cohen era, you can be aggressive like this in the Mets. And they went out, snagged one of the market's top relievers, reasonable contract, let themselves play room and still do a lot of things. Sandy Alderson right now running the baseball ops while they look for a GM. Right now he's made some hints publicly about what the Mets want to do. He said the Mets plan to be more active in free agency than trading, which makes a lot of sense. You listen to why Sandy says this. And he said in multiple interviews, there are two costs to acquiring a player. The cost in money and the cost in players. Money is obviously your free agents. So you want to pay a little more to get the guy you want in free agency. Whereas in the trade, you have to outbid other teams in terms of player costs. The Mets have gone that player route a lot in the past and it's thinned out the upper level of the farm system. So Sandy knows, oh, hey, we got to rebuild this farm system. Let's not mess with what we have there and focus more on the trading. So that makes a lot of sense. Trevor May, first step. George Springer sounds like a very logical target for the Mets. They need a center fielder. He's a natural center fielder. Clutch postseason performer from the Northeast. Right-handed hitter. Bounce in the lineup. Ran them over to the left. I think it's a smart move. Trevor Bauer would add a lot to this rotation. A lot. I know they brought Marcus Stroman back already, but if you could add Trevor Bauer there, potentially have Noah Syndergaard coming back, you have a super rotation to contend for the end at least. JT Realmuto also makes sense. I feel like he's the fallback here. If Springer goes somewhere at Toronto, the Blue Jays have been in on him. It sounds like the ideal plan for the offense, though, for the Mets. George Springer. James McCann behind the plate, solid defender, had a good year hitting for the White Sox last year, and a guy like Bauer in the rotation. 
you can still also do other things. You can add a guy like Jake Odorizzi, another twin connection with Hefner, bring him in to fill out the rotation. You also need a left in that bullpen. They still, right now, Justin Wilson, the free agent. And they do have needs for general depth because, obviously, if somebody goes down, there's not a lot in double A and triple A that can help you out. The Mets need to kind of fill in those guys that Brody Manwagon made a specialty of finding, those, those minor league plus free agents, and sort of saying, hey, take a minor league deal, go down to AAA, we need you, we'll call you up A to the 40. Those guys are going to be very important this year. The terms of the trade front, you can also watch the Mets and see, you know, maybe this is going to be a scenario where they try and take on some salary in a trade. Say the Cubs, who just non-tender Kyle Schwarber, try and save some cash. Say, you know, we can't afford you garbage anymore. Made the Mets call, take his contract on. It costs them less in terms of prospects, but they get a dependable star there and they want to go overspend on Trevor Bauer. Helps the Cubs, they can free money, sign Javi Baez, long-term guys like that. And the Mets can take advantage of the salary dump trades. This is not a Robinson Cano salary dump trade we're talking about here, where the idea of the salary dump is you take on money, you give up less prospects. If you can do moves like that, it could be a lot of fun for the Mets. They have a lot of opportunities to do things this offseason. What else could we see out of the Mets? I think it's a very interesting question. I think the Mets have a lot of ways to go. It will certainly be a lot of fun. I'm going to dive into that with Mike Puma of the New York Post right after this. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball. Knocking those home runs over the wall. East side, west side. Everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets Club. I am back here. We're talking New York Mets baseball with somebody who covers the team on the regular basis of the New York Post. Mike Puma is on the line with me today. Mike, welcome and how are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, good to talk to you. And I have to say, it's definitely a refreshing feeling as a Mets fan to see the change in ownership of the franchise. It feels like there's a whole new era coming here. So what do you think about what the Steve Cohen era is going to mean for the Mets? I think it's a, it's a lot of excitement right now. He's still kind of in that uh, honeymoon period a little bit. Uh, fans you know, rightfully excited about the ownership change and uh, the chance uh, to get a deep-pocketed owner in here who who's saying all the right things right now. He's a lifelong Mets fan, grew up rooting for the team on Long Island. Um, seems to uh, have the fans' best interests at heart. Um, and, you know, now we're, we're into the free agency period here, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. But, uh, you know, the first uh, month of this uh, Steve Cohen regime is, is going smoothly, but there hasn't been, there hasn't been a lot of action. You know, they, they still, we'll see what happens over these next few weeks here. Yeah, we will. And a lot, a lot of you right now is on the play of Sandy Alderson, who has obviously been here before under the Will Ponds. I don't know, but I don't know if you can attest this as well, but from an outside perspective, it certainly seems like, Sandy Olsen seems to have like more energy, more excitement right now than he did his first time running the team. I think so, and it's it, it's it's tough to totally grade Sandy on his 
last tenure with the team um, just because of the fact that the, the financial constraints he was working under. Uh, you know, the, the Wilpons, uh, you, you'd go into an offseason with the Wilpons not really knowing what your budget was and having to fight for just about every expenditure and um, not having uh, not having depth in the organization. Now he's, he's kind of stepping into that now with, you look at the AAA, AA, and uh, where the minor leagues are at right now. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what Sandy Alderson can do uh, with some dollars to spend here. That, that, that's, you know, how he should be graded. Now, uh, hasn't gotten off to a great start as, as far as trying to fill that front office. I think uh, Steve Cohen and Sandy both came in with the idea they might be able to, to land a big name to head baseball operations. That hasn't happened. So this first year, at least, it looks like Sandy Alderson is going to take on a bigger role than maybe he anticipated and have to oversee baseball operations. Yeah, so you get that GM search. You think it's a big deal if they haven't found somebody yet? Because I know they were talking big when they first got about how we're going to build this big structure. We're going to have a lot of layers of brilliant people and stuff, but they haven't been able to hire anyone yet. Yeah, and then part of that's a product of not getting the ball rolling here until it was November, until Steve Cohen's uh, ownership became official. Um, and I, I think that, that that's part of the reason there was some thought. I, I think there were individuals in Brody Van Wagenen's front office who thought maybe Brody would have a chance to, to return here just kind of as that bridge for the first season. And then uh, after that, maybe there would be some changes just for the sake of having bodies in place. And now we're seeing that uh, the all and scrambling a little bit here. Um, you know, Chris Young is a, is a guy who interviewed for the GM position and withdrawn his name. We don't know too many uh, other candidates, really. Michael Hill uh, interviewed for the president of baseball operations job, and uh, we, we now know that they're not hiring for that position. So, um, But, you know, things, things are moving along here because, as, as we've seen, Trevor May signed the, the other day, and they're making some moves here. So the business is, is going about, but, um, they still haven't filled uh, seats in that front office. Yeah, that, that, I know that's still going on. You definitely point out the Trevor May signing, and they non-tendered four guys yesterday. So it feels like in the past, that would be like, okay, that's most of the Met offseason considering their budget. But now it feels like they're setting themselves up to make a lot of moves. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, you look at it, how it shakes out, and, and it really sets up nicely, I think, for them to sign George Springer. He, he would bring uh, an immediate upgrade into two areas that they're, they're really lacking. One was has been center field defense, and the other a right-handed bat. He's a perfect blend. He's a local guy, grew up in Connecticut. Uh, I, I just I just think he, he'd be the perfect fit for this team, and I, I, I would have to make the Mets the front runners to sign him. And, you know, real Mudo, let's be honest, he's, he's the best catcher out there, and he's, uh, he's a game-changer. He's the kind of guy, and I, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who brought up this point. Uh, the last couple of times the Mets have gone out and, and gotten the best catcher in the game, look what happened. They got Gary Carter in the 80s. They won the World Series. They went out and got Piazza in the late 90s, ended up going to the World Series. You know, J.C. Real Muto could be 
kind of that third piece, that that third great catcher that that gets them back on top. Yeah, do you think it's a universe where they sign both of those guys, or do you feel like it's more like one or the other for them? I think they have a shot to sign both of them. Just, just this is kind of uh, the perfect storm off season. You have Cohen coming in, uh, buying the team, having money to spend, uh, wanting to make an immediate splash. The rest of the industry uh, contracting a little bit, trying to cut back on expenses. There's only there's probably only four or five teams looking to looking to spend this off season. So. I think the Mets have a, a, a real good shot at getting both of those guys, Ludo and Springer. That would also be interesting because it's also been linked to rotation needs as well. Obviously, Trevor Bauer is a big name there, and we've heard his agent talk about the nice things the Mets are saying. The Mets have talked about him a bit. Do you think he's a realistic possibility for them? We feel like it's a little like on the back burner. I think I think he's a realistic possibility, and you know, it, maybe it, maybe it's not somebody. Now, Bauer is a clear cut. Uh, Top gun out there on the market. Maybe the Mets are able to do something else with uh, somebody on that next tier, a, a guy like uh, Tanaka or something like that. Uh, but I, I definitely think the Mets need another starting pitcher here because you look at the way the rotation's set up right now, and you you know you have Degrom and you have Stroman. You know Peterson had a nice rookie year, but still don't know a lot about him. Um, you know, and as it says right now, I think that blue goes in the rotation so you can go out and get another starter. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. I could see him looking at something like a Jake Odorizzi as sort of a fit because of the connection with Jeremy Hefner, and they did bring in his teammate Trevor May. So I wonder if he's a guy they'd be going after. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a guy who's, who's strong on the radar. You know, he falls into that next uh, tier right, right below Trevor Bauer. So... I think they'll go out and, and, and still get another arm, and that might provide him the flexibility to uh, move Lugo back to the bullpen where he, he's been so good. And then, you know, they brought back Steven Matt here. We'll see what kind of role they have in mind for him. Uh, Syndergaard, you know, can't discount. It, you know, he's not going to be ready to start the season, but I think the Mets are hopeful by, uh, by June he'll be back in that rotation. And one other possibility that's out there, I don't know if this is a realistic one, is like they could also take, consider going after DJ LeMay. He was sort of played second or third base now that Robinson Cano is out this year. Do you think that's something that's that's more realistic for them? Do you think that's more of like a plan B if they don't land some of their big fish? Yeah, I, I, I think that I think the prefer, preference would uh, probably be to get Real Muto and Springer. And uh, let's say Real Muto decides he wants to stay uh, in Philadelphia. Um you know, maybe maybe they go a different route. Maybe they maybe they sign a James McCann. Uh, maybe they make a trade for a catcher and then and, and look to bring in a Lemayhu who could play a couple of different positions for you. Can move second base, third base. Uh, the, you know, the Cano suspension really uh, opened up some things for them. And I've had more than one person mention to me it, it, it it's probably uh, the best thing that could have happened for the Mets. It does feel kind of backwards for the Mets, who usually have every possible news go wrong for them, that now that they have a, guy, a second baseman who hit over 300 last year, hit 10 homers, hit 30 RBIs, gets suspended for the year, now it's a great thing for them. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Vance didn't, he, he's not a fan favorite. Uh, he hasn't been since he got here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot of that goes into the, the past, PED suspension and the fact that 
people watch the game don't see him uh, running hard out of the batter's box and um, just kind of his uh, approach on the field. Um, and, you know, the other thing was he got here in that first, first half of that first season. He, he was just so bad at the plate, was having trouble uh, putting the ball in play, making solid contact. So uh, I, I think that the way the fans looked at it was this guy was kind of uh, uh, albatross a little bit. And, uh, you know, with, with the DH, I guess they could have slid him in more into that spot. But now, you know, it, it, if the DH sticks, you, you go with uh, Pete Alonso in that spot and Dominic Smith can play first base. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. And one other possibility for the Mets is they've talked a lot about these big trade options in the offseason. I know Sandy said the other day that, like, they were working more on the market because they have a bunch of, like, issues with with keeping the farm system intact and spending more in terms of money than players. Do you think there is a road where they could say maybe down in January we'll take a look at a trade for an Arenado or a Francisco Lindor? you feel that they focus more on smaller deals, trying to protect those prospects? Yeah, I have a I have a feeling uh, based on Sandy Alderson's comment and just the way he's operated in the past that he he really wants to build up the farm system as much as he can and, and not give away uh, any more prospects and that's just still obviously reeling a little bit from uh, the Jared Kellenic trade and uh, and the, the Stroman deal they had to give up uh, a couple of uh, pitching prospects here so. Um, I, I think the focus will be more on keeping those prospects. And then, hey, you know, after, after this season, if, if you can suck it up for one season, you can go out and try and sign Corey Seager or uh, or Carlos uh, Correa or Trey Turner, somebody like that. It's going to be a great uh, shortstop free agent class uh, next off season. So um, I think, you know, that that might be the better way to go. Do you think that they'd be willing to absorb a bad contract in a trade if it was possibly get them something to need? Like if they saw a team like maybe the Cubs side, you know what, we can't afford to keep you Darvish and pay Javier Baez. I think that could be something they would explore for the prospect cost of presumably less and just take the money. Yeah, I, I, I think that's something they would think about. Now, we don't know what uh, Steve Cohen's threshold is here as as far as spending money. I you would have to think he's willing to go up uh, – Right up to the luxury tax, maybe beyond the luxury tax of two hundred ten million. And the fact they are saving twenty million dollars on uh, Cano this year with his suspension, I, I think that that certainly helps a little bit. So uh, you can see that the, the Mets doing something like that, taking on uh, a bad contract to get a good player. Yeah, and I do feel like there's the needs for this team are pretty clear most times. It's always a catcher, center field, starting pitching. Do you feel like there's one area that has not been addressed about the mess they need to take care of? Well, until a couple of days ago, I would have said the bullpen, but now they're, they're bringing in May. I, I think you probably could, you probably could use another high-end uh, bullpen arm just because uh, at this point, all right, Edwin Diaz bounced back. Had a nice year for the Mets. You still, uh, you know, you, you lose uh, Justin Wilson, who's been pretty solid for two seasons. Uh, Jerice Familia was better this past season than he, than he was two seasons ago, but you, you still, I, I don't think the Mets have an idea which way that could go. He's been in the last year of his contract here. So I think, I think ideally, 
would like another high end bullpen arm that uh, you can put in the place. Maybe Seth Seth Lugo is part of that, but even with Lugo, in that, just just you watch the Dodgers last year and the way they won the World Series, and just you go to one arm after another in that bullpen. That that you can't build a bullpen around one or two guys. So I, I think they still need another arm down there. Yeah, and obviously you brought the Dodgers. My last question is obviously Steve Cohen said he wants to sort of become the East Coast Dodgers, and the Dodgers consistently winning that division, getting themselves in the playoffs every year, the chance to win it all. Do you think there's a path here for the Mets to realistically contend for the NL East as soon as this season? Because we know the Braves are building something very good down there. The Nat- you think the Nationals and Phillies be a bit better? Yeah, I, I think the NL East is going to be the best division in baseball for a few years now, and uh, the Braves. You know, we'll see what we'll see what where the rest of this off season goes. But I think you you have to keep the Braves as the team to beat right now, just because of that young nucleus they have, and uh, you know the early moves certainly going out get Charlie Morton to bolster that uh, rotation. Um, they still have uh, Acuna, Freddie Freeman, two MVP caliber players to hang to that line. So I, I think right now you still make the Braves team that everybody is going to be chasing but you know by the end of the offseason the Mets could be right there and uh, you know the Nationals are only a year away a year removed from winning the World Series the Marlins improved enough to make the postseason uh, Phillies are appear to be in a little bit of a disarray but you know you still look at that team and the, they, they got Bryce Harper sitting in the middle of that line and if they bring Real Muto back well there's there's two significant pieces right there. So uh, I'm looking forward to what this division is going to be for the next three, four, five years. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, Mike. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can people follow you on Twitter and keep up with all the coverage you're doing in the post? Yeah, it's NYPost underscore Mets on Twitter. And uh, just if I could throw in a quick plug, I, I've got my first book coming out in uh, – April, April 27th, if these walls could talk New York Mets. So I'm looking forward to that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'll definitely be sure to get a copy of that book. Mike, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. That was Mike Puma of the New York Post talking about New York Mets baseball. Up next, we're going to do our NFL picks on the podcast with Sandra Rosa right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 13 coming up here on the podcast. Joining me today, somebody who usually talks about pop culture, but we do get her on the line about once a year to talk about actual sports. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars fan, my chief Jacksonville Jaguars correspondent, Sandra Rosa. Sam, welcome back. How are you? Woo, go Jaguars. Thanks for having me. <laughs> not a problem. And I will say, though, for us, it's not been a fun football year. Hell no. But it is also very normal, I feel like, for our team in the same breath, you know? Yeah, because I mean, for, I'll say for my team, it's usually we're not down this low. Usually we're like, okay, we're going to win four games if we're bad. I never see a Jet team that's struggling to win one. Well, I mean, like, I know that the Jaguars have one win, but take this as this is how it feels to be a Jaguars fan. I'm learning it. It's not fun. No, it's not. But at least you have the, I guess the word is like, 
like knowing the warm consistency feeling of losing. Like you're like, we're not going to win. So when you do hopefully get one win and then the Jaguars can get the first pick, uh, (laughs) (laughs) then, then you'll be like, Oh wow, this is great. Like we thought we were going to lose and now we won. That, that's like the opposite of what I'm doing right now. Right now, I'm actually sitting there rooting for the losses because I want to, them to go 0-16 and just get the number one pick. Damn, that would be some rough season, 0-16. It could very well happen because, I mean, they've blown a couple, but we're here to talk about your Jaguars here, and obviously you watch their games more than I do. What do you think is somebody you watch who's a little more tuned in here? Like, what is really wrong well, with that team? Well, I'm going to be honest. I literally have been so... I don't want to use the word disgusted because it's very harsh, but I'm just like so disappointed and like really bummed out on how the team's playing. Like, it's just like you have the pieces there, right? But like things are not falling apart. And I honestly feel like it's like the consistent, like there's no consistent leadership within the team. Cause like last year they had Minshew, everyone got onto Minshew mania, including myself. I'm sure the players did too. And they're like, wow, this is like, this guy's like leading us. Like we could do well, like blah, blah, blah. But now you have like a three-way fight between like Lennon, Lutton and Minshew. Yeah. Of like, who's going to get the starting job. It's also crazy. Cause like when we first met, like the Jaguars were having a very, very big year. That was the year they went to the AFC championship game. And they had the Saxonville defense. And I was like, Oh, this is exciting. They're going to be good for a long time. And now three years <laughs> later, everybody's gone. And like, they're just in the middle of nowhere again. Yeah, literally, I think they said that um, when was his face left, that he was the last guy on the team from that year. Yeah, oh, my God. Why can't I, I'm very upset with him. Probably Jalen yeah, Ramsey. Oh, not, not Ramsey. He went to Tampa Bay. Oh, well, Fournette. Yeah, when Leonard Fournette. I think he's, like, either the last one or there's, like, one more dude on the squad, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But then there's also issues, I feel like, with Marone. Yeah. Um, and everything as well in the Jaguars, because like, like, you know, we were talking before the podcast, uh, you know, he was only promised his job security until the end of the season. Like, they were like saying, like, that's it. That's all we can promise you. So I feel like he's like kind of like, you know, grasping at straws, trying to get this like team to get a win. And I feel like he's going to want to win the last, you know, couple games of the regular season. But I feel like it's going to be a very short, uh, very sad ending to the 2020 season. Yeah, and I do want to ask about Mr. Menchu because, like, obviously, like, I had in fantasy for a bit this year. He got hurt. He wasn't even hurt from, like, what really happened with him this year? You think it was just, like, a one-year fluke with the mustache? Or you feel like he all of a sudden now, he, like, he just kind of realized, oh, okay, he's not really the guy we thought he was. I mean, like, you know, like, I like to think that, you know, if he is given the chance again that he'll learn from this. But, like, like everybody says, and, like, it's honestly, like, it's just sad to see. Like, you know, he's not learning. He's not growing from, you know, from his rookie season. Like, he came in this year, like, yeah, he got that first win against the Colts. But, like, after that, it's just, like, you know, he's not getting stronger. He's not getting better. He's kind of just, like, plateauing. And I feel like that was his issue. And then I feel like he just kept playing, just, like, playing harder, not smarter. I know how cliche that sounds. Um, But I really believe that he's just, like, he's – He's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know him personally, and I would love to know him personally, to be honest with you. That'd be really fun. <laughs> but I feel like he has, like, the blinders, you know what I mean, yeah. in a way. And I, don't get me wrong. I really do think he's trying, and he did try. And that's why he hit the injury. He just doesn't want to be cut because he's, like, he, I feel like he's a doer, you know. But I hope, you know, things click. 
come, you know, <laughs> next season if he's hopefully on the team, which I hope he is. But uh, you know me, I have that lovely Minshew jersey that uh, I wear proudly every Sunday at work. Yeah, I, I have the Darnold jersey. It's probably going in the garbage after this year because it's going to end up being useless. But I do know with Gardner Minshew that apparently he hid the thumb injuries he wanted to try and wins. So I respect that. But at the same time, he was hurting the team a little bit. Oh, 100%. Like, it definitely was suffering him. But then again, like, I guess that's pride as well. When he played in college, he would hide injuries as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's just a common thread with the guys, the personality thing. So that could be just a, that could be more of a bad thing. I like to think that he was just trying to prove himself to help the team out. That's just me being optimistic for him. Yeah, obviously this leads to an important question because no matter what way we slice it here, I think your team and my team are picking the top two in the draft next year. I don't think there's any way the Bengals catch us here. So, my Hell question, no, we have to stay strong. <laughs> no, we're going to be top two. The question, to my opinion, is like, who do you think is actually worse? Are the Jets worse, in your opinion? Because like, I feel like it's two different kinds of bad. Because the Jets, it's like... They're getting blown out every week. They're not competitive in most of these games. But the Jaguars, they play hard. They're in a lot of these games, and they just lose at the end. Yeah, and, like, in that aspect, like, that you just brought up, like, that makes – I feel like that makes uh, – like, it just depends on how you use the word worth, I guess. Like, worth as in, like, they're not scoring. They're not putting up the numbers. Like, you need them to. That goes to the Jets. But it's, like, sometimes it's worse to see a team be, like, oh, wow, they have a chance. And then they blow it, you know, in the third or fourth quarter, like the Jaguars did last week and like the last couple of seconds, basically. Um, but for me, like, unfortunately, if you look historically and stuff like the Jaguars, like, you know, all the time, like when I watch a game, this might be a more personal thing. First quarter, second quarter don't count for me. They like usually, you know, they do well or they do bad. And then like just the third and fourth quarter, they usually like blow all the leagues. I just feel like that's just like a cliche Jaguar thing. But getting back to the point, like worst, worst team, I guess I don't like to do this to you, but I feel like it might have to just be the Jets, I don't unfortunately. Worry, don't, worry, don't worry about that. I agree with you. They are The Jets are much worse. I feel like the Jaguars are more likely to win a game this year than the Jets are. Because I look at the Jaguars' schedule. I do think there is one game they can win. Do you see a win on that schedule for them? Uh, you're asking a cynical Jaguars fan. Um, like I said, I'll still watch every single one of their games and I'll still cheer them on. But I honestly think there's like a few games where they, they, they might be able to pull it through. But I honestly, I don't, I don't see a game where they can win, to be honest with you. Yeah, do you want to know the one I think they will win? I'm very, I'm very curious. I think we go to week 16. The Chicago Bears are coming down to Jacksonville. They are not very good on offense. Mitchell Trubisky will turn the ball over a few times, or Nick Foles will play poorly. Jaguars will squeak a win out of there. That's my guess. They win by a field goal at the gun. Hmm. Well, you know my feelings on Foles, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not go down that scary dark road. It's funny because I was looking at you know the whole season for the Bears because uh, they are the only ones that honestly piqued my interest as well, but. I feel like Foles is like that quarterback that performs really flippin' well when they know, like, they have, like, beef with the past team. Like, how he played so well against the Patriots, or not the Patriots, sorry. He played against Tampa Bay, stupid Tom Brady. Um, yeah, I feel like he's going to, like, play really well against the Jaguars because of how they kind of, like, just let him go and chose Minshew over him. Because, like, you know, 
last year before he got hurt, I was really excited about Foles being quarterback. I'm like, yes, let's go. Like, Foles is great. He was great in Philadelphia. And now, then he gets hurt the first game, and then they have Minshew, and I'm like, all right, Minshew's great. But I kind of think that Jacksonville lost, like, an ability with Foles. So I feel like Foles could have possibly, and I like to be optimistic again, um, I'm a very, uh, <laughs> like, mixed-feelings human being with the Jaguars. But I feel like the Jaguars missed their mark with Foles, and I feel like he's going to come back and, like, want to destroy them with every ounce of his being. Yeah, I think for sure that's one thing. And I think also the curious thing with the Jaguar situation here, and I think with them, they do play very hard. Mm-hmm. I do think that they will get it done. I have no faith in my team getting it done because my <laughs> because my team does a lot of things wrong. We have a much worse head coach. The Jets are not winning a football game. I think if they would have won one, they would have won held on to the Patriot game. They found an epic way to give that one up. Yeah, well, I mean, at least if you do poorly, you can just get the first round pick. Yeah, that's the goal here for the Jets, to get the number one pick, get Trevor Lawrence and get him going here. That's the goal here. But before we get to the actual picks thing, which is what you're here for today, I want to talk to you about this interesting NFL situation we had this week with the Ravens-Steelers COVID game. I talked about it on the last podcast, my legal guy, Phil Friata. The game got moved again from Tuesday to Wednesday. And for the first time ever, we had Wednesday afternoon football. What did you think about that? I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was nice to have on in the background when I'm, like, working at home. Like, I just, I liked that. I was like, look at this. It's like uh, postseason baseball where I had, like, games to watch during the day. Um, but there's no way any kind of football will trump Christmas this year. I feel like Christmas is coming in with, like, a vengeance. I'm like taking everything out in its path kind of deal. Yeah, and people are sitting here going, 340, why are you playing football at 340? It's because NBC has scheduled the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting on Wednesday night, and they picked the Christmas tree over the football game between the last undefeated team in the NFL and the Steelers and their rival, the Ravens. And for the NFL, you definitely got to ask, they lost out to a Christmas tree lighting. Hell yeah. Like I said, Christmas <laughs> takes no prisoners, man. It's 2020. We have no joy. We have fake joy that Christmas gives us. Yeah, I will say, I do get the rationale for NBC because the Christmas tree lighting is a big deal. You know the tree looks yeah, weird this year. Yeah. I, everyone gives the tree such bad rep, but I'm saying, like, this poor tree just traveled from upstate New York. It's not fun driving down from upstate to New York City. Like, it's going to have a little, like, sadness to it, but it, it will fill back out. The thing has to decompress, de-stress. You don't know how good our this driver was that drove the tree. Yeah, he could have been, been driving there's off There's, the like, road. little factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He could have been driving on dirt trees roads. Trees have feelings, Mike. Trees have feelings. <laughs> yeah, they do, and this one has been getting its feelings hurt quite a bit, I'll say. Yeah, and then also, like, we kidnapped an owl. Yeah. The funny thing also is now, with the NFL playing the game on Wednesday today, and the fact that they do have a game scheduled on Christmas, which is a Friday this year, there will be an NFL game on every day of the week at some point this season, which is pretty weird to think about. That is actually really strange to think about. Yeah, because we got Saturdays Every day. Up. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think this is the only these 
second Wednesday game I can remember, and I think the last one was back in 2012, I want to say. It was opening weekend. They had the Giants raise the banner against the Cowboys on a Wednesday because the Democratic National Convention was the next night and was giving Barack Obama the second nomination. So two things can can push football off of its normal time slot here. The, the uh, Democratic Convention and a Christmas tree. I think it's just the 2020 Christmas tree, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like this is like a little asterisk on the Christmas viewing. Yeah, and for people who were not paying attention, the Steelers particularly won the football game, but we'll get to the NFL pick is the reason why you're here. Our good friend Joe Dalawizio was actually here last week. He did do the NFL picks. He did not do very well, Sam. <laughs> I literally, hey, he probably is going to do better than me. But I played it safe. Like, well, at least he probably, you know what I mean? Well, I'll get, I'll, I'll let you know right now. He did not do very well. He went a whopping 0 and 3. He took the Giants yeah. laying four and a half. He got screwed there at the back door cover in the bank. The Giants only won by two. He took the Broncos getting five and a half. We picked this game before they got, had no quarterbacks left to play the game. So that one's unlucky. He picked against your team. He took the Browns laying the five and a half against the Jaguars, and the Jaguars came back and made it close at the end. So he lost there with that one. So 0-3 for Joe. Uh, well, he might have another partner to be 0-3 with next week. So, <laughs> Well, as somebody who knows what picks are coming here from you, I feel like you will at least get on the board with one. I'm very confident about that. I hope so, because it's my first pick of the season. It's late in the season. Yeah. I've been busy with work, so I haven't been doing the best job yeah. in following all the teams. Yep. Yeah. So I like try to pick safe ones. Yeah. But now I'm nervous. It's that's okay. Joe took some risks last week. Well, high risk, high reward, right? Yeah. I anyway, I, I was a little safer last week. I went two and one on the week. I had the Saints laying five and a half against the Broncos. Went head to head with Joe there and won. I had the Dolphins wow. laying the points against the Jets. I've been doing that for a while now. The Dolphins covered the number. I also had a complete brain cramp last week. I some reason I just thought it was a good idea to take the Lions on Thanksgiving to win to win outright, and they lost by at least the oh. Texans. Yeah, I watched that game. That was rough. <laughs> yeah, I once I see the coach and the GM got fired out from like, yeah, that was probably not the right pick by me. Oh well, you live and you learn. That's what I do. That's what I live by. <laughs> yep, it is what we live by on the year. Team challengers, nineteen, sixteen, and one. So they've done a pretty good job so far. I'm 23 and 13. I've been pretty hot most of the year. I'm hoping to keep the trend going, but we're going to do the picks now. Sam, as the guest, you are up first. Where are you going with your first pick of the week? All right, first pick, uh, I guess in memory of Joe, I'll do uh, Packers minus nine and a half over Eagles. Uh, you know, honestly, just I feel like the Packers have it this week to really like take over the Eagles. Yeah, I think this is a good pick because the Eagles are just bad. I feel like this game, uh, they played Monday night, went against the Seahawks for their last stand game. They played hard. They lost. They're not a very good team. So they're going on the road to play Green Bay, and Green Bay is going to play very well in this football game. This could be a blowout, so I like your chance to cover the number there. Yeah, and then uh, Chris, Chris Wentz is uh, looking a little, uh, you know, down in the dumps kind of deal. Like, he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he has it in him to finish out the season strong. Definitely not the same guy. He's definitely a lot different than he's been in the past. Yeah, definitely. Where are you going with your next one? Uh, I'm going to do Steelers uh, minus nine and a half over Washington. Uh, this is my safe bet one uh, because Washington just, you know, statistically hasn't been performing that great. Uh, better than the Jaguars, of course, but uh, that was my safe pick for this week. 
Yeah, I like this one too because this is one I didn't go to because I didn't want to see the Steelers play, but this team is 11-0 for a reason. Washington has not beaten anybody any good. They've beaten the, the Cowboys twice. They've beaten the Eagles once. They've beaten the Bengals. They have a combined like seven wins, those three teams. And it's just, you know what? This is a game the Steelers also can at home extra day get ready after the Raven game they're gonna win big I think you I think I like your chances there at that one where you go with number three all right this is my uh Bills minus two and a half over the Niners uh, since the Niners are having issues with playing at home games and stuff I just feel like they're all in a little bit of a disarray so I'm hoping that uh the Bills will come out strong on top yeah, that's another good logical pick. People forget they're going to Arizona for the next couple of weeks. They're going to be out of their routine. The Bills are very good. San Francisco did win last week, but it's only two and a half. All you need is a win by a field goal. I think you got a good shot there with the Bills. Yeah, plus you got to support one New York team, right? Yeah. yeah, they are the one New York team. I'll go up now. Pick number one. This is one that I feel like they get constantly undervalued when Drew Brees doesn't play. I'm going to take the Saints laying the three in Atlanta against the Falcons. And these two teams played two weeks ago. New Orleans won 24-9 with Taysom Hill at quarterback. A lot has not changed in those two weeks, but they are not getting the respect for being a 9-2 football team. Their defense is very good. They'll run the football. Atlanta's got trouble scoring on them. I'll only lay in three. I think the Saints will win handily. So give me the Saints laying three. Pick one. No, I feel like that's a good pick there. Yeah, I feel like I feel very good about that one. Number two, back to the well once again. Picking the Raiders, laying the seven and a half against the Jets this week. The Jets have only covered the spread twice all season. The Raiders got blown out in Atlanta last week. I'd be very mad coming in here after that loss. They lost to the Jets last year in a similar spot. There's going to be on their mind. The Jets are not good. Sam Darnold did not look good this week with all his weapons back. I'm only laying seven and a half. I will take the Raiders here. Lay the points. They're going to win big over the Jets. Hey, I mean, you said it yourself about the Jets earlier, so <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't compare. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Pick number three. You'll like this one. I'm taking your team. Get the nine and a half points in Minnesota against the Vikings this week. I love the Jaguars' chances here. They're playing close games. The Vikings are also not that good. The Vikings struggled to beat Carolina last week when Teddy Bridgewater was banged up. Mike Glenn's playing again. He played well last week. I think the Jags will be right in this football game to the end, and I'm getting almost 10 points. I think they will cover easily. I think they have an outside shot to win it outright as well. So give me the Jags plus nine and a half, pick number three. Well, I really hope the Jags perform for you and they don't let you down how they consistently let me down. <laughs> yeah, I like their chances though. Getting 10 points is a lot, and I think they'll be right in that football game. I really hope so. That'd be nice for uh, the Jags. Yeah. So to reset the pick, Sam is going with the Packers laying nine and a half in at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Steelers laying nine and a half at home against the Washington football team on Monday. And the Bills also on Monday laying two and a half against the 49ers down in Glendale. I am taking the New Orleans Saints laying three in Atlanta against the Falcons. The Jaguars getting nine and a half points in Minnesota against the Vikings. My third road team, the Las Vegas Raiders laying seven and a half against the Jets at MetLife. Those are your picks for week number 13 on the podcast. And next week on the podcast, joining us, another one of our good friends, Will Steinan is going to be on doing the picks. Gotta love Will. He's my fave. <laughs> yeah, we're going to complain about the Jets more next week. We'll talk about how badly the Raiders beat them. What? You know what? What if this is the week that you guys are wrong, though? You know? Who knows? I like to think optimistic for other people, not myself, but... <laughs> Well, I'm telling you, if they win the game this week, there'll be a lot of more crying between me and Will because we both desperately want Trevor Lawrence. 
Oh, well, the Jaguars can have him anyway. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, if he's not going to New York, he's going to Jacksonville. Possibly. I don't, who wants to play in the Swamp Town anyway? But It will be fun, and Will's going to be on next week. I've personally avoided talking about the Jets for a while, getting Jet guests on for the picks because it's not to really discuss with them. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of them being in the mix with that topic. That's when the fun begins. Oh, definitely. I bet that a lot of people have a lot to say about first-round picks. Yeah, indeed. And before I let you go, obviously, we talked Mandalorian last week. The re- the full recap episode number five is out already on the podcast. I talked to my friend Kevin Willis about it earlier this week, but I do want to pick your brain on a few things if you're interested. Oh, 100%. I love the Mandalorian. So do I. Let's get, let's get a little music in here for the little mood here. We do need to talk about the Mandalorian here because we did get a big revelation last week. We learned the name of Baby Yard. His name is Grogu. And we learned his backstory. <sighs> what did you think of this? I thought it was pretty clever. I mean, I'm not going to lie to everyone out there. I have not watched The Clone Wars. So I feel like I've been like two steps behind this entire season, apparently. And I'm not figuring that until now. But I am rectifying that and I am watching The Clone Wars. Um,. But I was like, oh, my God, he was in the room with Anakin when all that went to, like, shit, basically. And he was just hiding in the closet. Like, <laughs> like he managed to escape somehow. Yeah, that was a wild reveal that like, he was being trained as a Jedi. And he survived the purge of Order 66 because apparently he was not in the room. And there's a great meme going around Twitter today, basically show, joking that he went to get food while everybody else, was, all the kids were getting, little young was getting killed. I'm like, that's dark, but it's also funny. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, like, curious how he was training since he's, like, he's, like, a baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, does that ever, like, itch your brain a little bit? Yeah. It definitely did, but I, what do you think of the name? What do you think of the name Grogu? I, I guess it's fine. I know that they said that this is his this creature is not named baby yoda stop calling it baby yoda yet we're all like baby yoda like the whole song you know like uh, i'm not gonna sing it because i have a bad singing voice but um but i guess like grogu i guess is acceptable it could be worse but it's no baby yoda it's not but then again for people whine about the name this is star wars what were you expecting no, like, uh, exactly. I just want wish that it was secretly Baby Yoda. And it was, it's ridiculous and would never fit into the storyline. But, you know, personally, I'd like it to be called Baby Yoda. Yeah, I do think, though, it's pretty fun to see his see his little reaction when Mando calls him Grogu the first time. His face like, is like, oh, you know my name. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. It's so adorable. Yeah, I do. Love- I like how, like, there, he's like his, like, dad. Yeah. I love it. Like, I love when it's just, like, a sh- um, Ahsoka, like, clarified. It was like, no, like, he, like, really, like, love, like, respects you kind of deal and, like, looks up to you. Yeah. I'm like, yes, Daddy Mando. Yeah, you were right on the Daddy Mando thing. Like, he basically has become uh, Grogu's dad. Yes, it's great. I love it. It's my favorite part of the whole <laughs> series. <laughs> Embarrassingly so. Yeah, which is what I'm curious about what's going to happen here as we get him further along his journey trying to become a Jedi. Like, are we going to see Mando keep tagging along here? Because I feel like, what's the show, like, if they're not together? Exactly. And then what I'm thinking is, um, I don't know if you saw that tweet. Um, I don't know if it was, like, a producer or, or an editor or something. 
came out and said like you like you gotta be ready for the last three episodes like he like kind of like not a spoiler but kind of spoiled that they're gonna be pretty intense i don't know how much water that holds but i'm excited yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, I'm going to be doing the recap of the next episode this weekend. My friend Nick Bray, who's big into the Star Wars lore, he knows all the Clone Wars references and the Rebels references. So hopefully, he'll be able to provide some insights into what's going on there. Oh, definitely! I can't wait to listen so I can also be on the know <laughs> or in the know. Yeah, it'll also be fun. I also think, as far as the name is concerned. I think it's a clever one because I do want to go back and watch some of the old episodes and see if he actually says the words Grogu at any point. Because I'd say like, that's one mm-hmm. you could easily just like write off as the baby babbling and then not realize he's actually saying his own name. That's very true. That's a, like I'm very interested if he says that too. Because that was the first thing I thought. I'm like, that's a very clever way to hide that. They were trying to like say, oh, like it's been there the whole time. You just haven't realized. No, they would do that to us. People are so smart. Yeah, like, they are very smart showrunners over there. They are not the mess that produced the sequel trilogy. Yeah, and they also, like, have people that keep secrets, and I think that's so hard to come by these days. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about, like, the fact that they kept Grogu's existence a secret and denied the opportunity for Disney to make tons and tons of money off of merch in front of holiday season 2019 is very impressive. Very impressive. But this year in 2020, in the sadness, we all can get our own Baby Yodas. And that's why I refuse to call it by its other name. It's Baby Yoda. We are going to call him Baby Yoda forever because Grogu might be used as well, but like we will never not call him Baby Yoda. It's like we never actually called him oh, a yeah. child. Grogu is like formal. Like you're like, oh, Grogu. But like, I'm like, yeah, what's up, Baby Yoda? It's like more of like a nickname. Like, you're on, a, like, a cool basis with them. You know what I mean? If you follow. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe there's only three episodes of the show left? I'm really upset about it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I am, too, because it's been fun. I know they're doing pre-production on the third season, but, like, the eight episodes we get are always a joy. It's, it's be nice to see that. But I do look forward to getting another Disney Plus, like, getting that Marvel show story next year with the, I want to say the WandaVision show comes out mid-January. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that comes out. I'm very curious. Yeah, I do want to break that down. So hopefully, like, that's going to be a good spot for us to recap down the podcast. Oh, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I do want to thank you for coming on, doing some thing of time. I really appreciate it. How can you find on social media? They want to keep up with you. Uh, Hopefully this time I get it down. I say this every time I'm on, and yet I always screw it up. Uh, But it's at D-E-R-O-S-5 on Twitter. S D E R O S A one seven five on Instagram. Uh, you can just Google my name. Honestly, you'll probably find me or find my dad, and you can always friend him too. He's a nice uh, fellow. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Again, it's there was one letter missing from the Twitter handle. It was S D E R O S five on Twitter. Yeah, right. I said S D E R O S five. I thought you forgot the D about the S. I wasn't sure. But in case- oh, I might have. Let's be real. I probably messed it up. Like I said, I always preface, I probably will mess this up, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, At least I give myself room to mess up. Yeah, we'll leave that in there. We'll let the audience tell us who actually was right on that. I also want to thank our other <laughs> guest today. I want to thank you for coming on. I also want to thank our other guest today. I have talked to Mike Puma of the New York Post. Talk about the Mets earlier in the show. And I think the Mets are going to be fun this offseason. Oh, let's go Mets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know your mom's a huge Mets fan. So hopefully this offseason, yeah. they'll, they'll be, be something doing more entertaining things than just signing bargain bin third baseman. 
Oh man, I like I'm as much as I am a Yankee fan. I'm so excited to see what the Mets are going to do this like this postseason. This yeah postseason and not postseason. Jesus, off season. My words are like getting to me this late at night. Uh, and, but I'm also looking forward to what they're going to do for 2020. I'm very excited as a New Yorker and as somebody whose mom's a Mets fan and who low key roots for them every season. Yeah. That will be fun to see. I also wrote a good blog post this week. I actually checked out the Oscar Pistorius 30 for 30 this this year this, during Thanksgiving week. There's a four-part 30 for 30 film. Kind of similar vibes to OJ's 30 for 30, but if you want to check out my review of that, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Do you have any interest in seeing that 30 for 30? I actually do. Um, if you, I know you can't see my face right now because we're on opposite ends of Westchester. Uh, but literally, I was looking forward to watching that. I'm going to wait till they're all out so I can binge it at once. It's on ESPN Plus. All four of them are on that. So if you need the password, let me oh. know. I'll hook you up. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I think I gave up my ESPN Plus so I can get Disney Plus, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, so that's one you can definitely check out there. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all the old episodes there, including... My chat earlier this week with my, my buddy Phil Freyett about the NFL's COVID issues. And we had a lot of fun killing the Bron- the NFL from letting the Broncos play with a wide receiver quarterback this week. At least that will go down in history for most entertaining. Was it, though? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was entertaining. This poor guy's like, they're like, you, quarterback. And I'm sure he shrugged and he's like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was thrilled, but I'm sure like the people who had to pay for tickets were not thrilled to have to watch a non-NFL quarterback play quarterback. Yeah, well, tell their other people not to be in like contact with people with COVID. Yeah, that's true. That's just me being held, like very uh, critical, I guess. Yeah. So again, subscribe to the podcast, search for Justin the Shepherd on any of those platforms, find all the uh, episodes there. You can also leave your feedback and Starbank as well. Come like, on, this podcast even better going forward. You can also listen to this individual conversation on the podcast on my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Our conversation is going to be up there in just a bit, so you can check that out there as well. Awesome. You can tell me how bad I do, uh, viewers like you out there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And the quest for 300 followers is still going on, so if you want to hop on the follow train, help me get closer to that milestone, please do. Hell yeah, I'm already on that. But if I, I will make another Twitter account just to follow you. Does that make you feel better? That would be that'd be very nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'll create a whole new persona just for you. <laughs> Indeed, and that's it for this episode of the podcast. Coming up next week, I do have a couple of different things going on here for you. I do have a bonus episode coming. I'm going to be talking more Mets with Justin Toscano, uh, another Mets beat reporter. Do our Mandalorian recap there and more. Until I hope you have a better week than those Broncos fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.